0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Abram Kibalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, this is Gaonic Literature, part two last week. Today I want to talk about really what makes for high going great, which is really his halachic preeminence. Uh, the Chuvah tshub, Segoinim is, is, is an area uh, that, as Rappaport said, as he predicted, would grow, would grow with the discoveries, the discoveries of ancient artifacts and archaeology. And indeed, it has. And there, they were, experts arose in this field. But all of them would say that the, the name that comes up the most, a third of all Gaonic material has Hai's name on it. Now, of course, he was the last. But as we said, he understood he needed to write. And he wrote Chuvus, Perushim, and Hol Svarin. Um, some of them have been lost, others survive partially. Others were not sure because Rishonim, who bring him, uh, sometimes attach a name to a safer that perhaps it's only part of a work. All of this, is, it's a lot of speculation in uh, uh, his one of his works in particular, the one that is the most complete, it's called the Sefer Mecca Memkar. And it's incredible that you know, Haigon dies, um, in 1038, and uh, very soon after, this work is already in translation, it was written in Arabic, and it's a book about everything you wanted to know about sales, about how selling and buying happen within a Torah framework, the book of, 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 of what you can sell, and how you sell it, and how can Yonim work. It's a very wide-ranging Sefer. It's very modern, if you think about it. In other words, Rav Hai, on one hand, championed the Talmud and, and, and was an expert that everyone came to about why does they call what what does this word mean? What does that word mean? The Orach is full of highs interpretations of various Talmudic phrases and statements and and, and and strange words. He was a Talmudist. He he pushed Talmud Babli as much as any of the previous goyim, but yet he understood we needed another work, another work that would be as I said deep and wide, a work that uh, would cover a huge amount of material and it was a place you could look for that unlearned people can look for, and Rabbonim could also look to, um, and I'm gonna, he, it's possible. Sim HaSaf says that Hai did not invent this idea of Sadia going already 100 years before him, and already thought in, a, in, in, in more of a holistic, large manner in terms of halacha. But I don't believe that produced anything uh, of, of this magnitude. So here is the introduction to the work written by uh, uh, someone who was living in Provence, uh, possibly in Spain, but probably in Provence. His name was Rabbi Yitzchok ben Ruvein al Um And look what he writes here. He says, This is the book called Mekah Humemkar. That was written. Hittik is really a strange term. It wasn't really copied. It was actually composed by Rabbi the son of Ramshira, the Resh Masifta, and both of them, as you can see, uh, are, have have gone to Olam Haba, or at least Rambshira has. Who Hittik He wrote it in Arabic. for the people spoke Arabic. Why? Because what had happened, even in Baghdad, even in the place where Talmud Bavli had its origins, Arabic became the the stronger language, and Talmudic, Aramaic, and ideas of Chazal were not as understood. I, I looked at this book I decided to put this book that high wrote into what we call Russian every let's call it Hebrew for better or for better or worse in other words under the Arab rule they speak Arabic but we are still under Christian rule in Provence, in, in the higher parts of France and Germany, we're under Eretz Yisrael. We don't understand Arabic, which is interesting because you know you, you cross over into Spain, especially the southern part, into the Moors and others. I mean, this where the, where the Muslims conquered, Arabic was spoken and understood. It was the lingua franca. It's the Rambam's. The, it's the language the Rambam thought in. And yet, you cross over, Darren does, you cross over into Provence, they really did not speak Arabic. And he says, If there's something that you find here is a mistake, it's my fault. Don't think it was Raphael's fault. Asher Yitzhak, because again, I've turned it into Ivrit, and it could be I didn't understand the original. And I'm only 35. I'm 35 years old. I finished the copying. I translated it from Arabic into Hebrew. And this is Shnas Dalit Tachlach, Tatlach, or Okay, well, you can figure when this happens. Dalit is the year 240. Tatlach is 838. So 240 and 800 is 1040. So it's basically 1078, which is basically 40 years after Rachai's death. So 1078, that is when he translated this. And it's Mecca Chubemkar with 60 different Sharim. Let's take a look. Shar Aleph. What is a Mecher? Dover Sheikhra Mecher. What's a sale? What's not a sale? Sharbays, what does a sale depend on? What is the thing that, that, that a Mecca won't work with? What does it mean someone who sells? Chargimel. What does it mean when you have somebody, when you say that, oh, that person can sell stuff? Who is someone? A Sherlodius guy. Who's someone that you can't say that he really sold it to you? For example, he's not a vendas. He doesn't understand what's really going on. So even though the words of sale were said, it's not really a sale. Someone sells something that doesn't belong to him and it's still a good sale. How can Besden, since we're talking about selling something that doesn't belong to you, how come Besden can sometimes sell something they don't really own and it could still be a good sale? That is sell something, right? What does it mean to sell? What things can be sold? What's the objects that can be sold? What are things that can't be sold? Who can be a seller? Who can be a buyer? How can you have something where, where you're selling something that you don't really own? I hope that you see, even from those first seven, the logical way Rav Hai was working. Talk about the eighth star. What about the fact that there are some times that the rabbis do not allow you to buy things from them. They have the brains, the material is good, but there's some other reason why sales cannot take place from them to you. Those are the people. Now, in Chartes, then there are things that you should not sell. Not that the people shouldn't be be the one selling it, and you shouldn't buy it from them, but there's things that should not be sold, but with only certain exceptions. Then he says, there's things you could sell among yourselves, but things that you cannot sell to the non-Jewish world. And then you have things that there's an iser to sell them. Then you have the times that you cannot sell them. Often as Rabbi, that the Ramban, the greatest of the thinking Spanish Talmudists, calls the father of, 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 of learning, the one who he says that once Rafai says something, I have to accept the Ramban. Um, it's hard for us to look at him and analyze him as a human being and what he was about, teacher of the Jewish people, 50 years being involved. Uh, in, in, in intense learning and study and writing, even before he became a gaon, he wrote uh, another sefer which I mentioned before, the sefer called Mishpatei Hashruos, where it is that you uh, make a person take a shrua. Um, Pirushim on Shas, uh, incredible piyutim that show his 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 mastery of the language and his poetic abilities. Um, you know, again, we've talked many times over amazing figures, but he is a it, it was such a productive and completely dedicated teacher. Ibn Anken, in his commentary on Shira Shirin, uh comments on, on, on the idea of going to the Christians or other non-Jewish sources for a uh, interpretation. And he quotes a letter that Rahai Gon wrote uh, to his questioners. They wanted to know about a, 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 a peric in Tehillim, very difficult peric uh, linguistically, mem Memdalid. And Hai knew that in their area there, was, there were priests and monks that had studied the, the Tanakh and studied those words, and could translate and understand the Shorish. And he told them, these, these rabbinical types, to go to the monk and ask him, go to, the, go to them. And they wrote back, well, we should go to the Goyim. And Rev Haigon wrote back that, of course, he says, throughout Chazal, we see that we did whatever was for knowledge. If they know, we go to them. And therefore, there's, there's, there's no embarrassment to going to these months that have become experts in our language, a language that we don't speak, a language that because of Aramaic and now because of Arabic has become somewhat foreign to us, but they have ideas and speculations that aren't tied into Jesus being the Messiah. It's just about their knowledge of the language. You should go you can learn from them. So Rav Haigon was a master teacher, a learner, a person who, who encouraged in his students to, to pursue knowledge their whole lives and from any source they can get it from. So I think it's very fitting that the, the safer Mechachumemkar, has been uh, worked on and a commentary appends it from one of the greatest teachers of the 20th century, of Michal Yehuda Lefke, which says He, when he was already 30, in his mid-30s, conceived, or even his early 30s, he conceived of the idea of writing a commentary on the Sefer Mecha Homemkar. And uh, he, of course, was a, uh, um, was a miracle child. He was born from a second marriage. His father was 80 years old when he was born. 80 years old. Um, of course, he made it to Eretz Yisrael. His mother was younger. Uh, and there um, uh, he became under the, uh, uh, he, as he, he was already uh, festooned with the recognition that was given to him by the great Rav Mailez Yeshiva. Uh, but again, Shema of course, was his rabbi. Shema came to America. Uh, his student, Rav Michal Yudalevkovich went to Eretz Yisrael, and because of Rav Shlomo letters, was able to come closer to the chazunish and all the gedolim of Eretz Yisrael. And he, in B'nei Brak, became an incredible figure, a figure uh, that uh, that was giving shiurim, uh, was a rav, uh, in, in, in his father-in-law's yeshiva, and his father-in-law Shul. Uh, when the chazunish became ill, he started a shear for balabatim, it went from 1953 till he died in 2011. He gave that share for Balabatim for uh, oh, for 60 something years. He gave a share uh, and, and he gave that share continuously. Uh, he also started, um, uh, in, in the, in the, in, as, as a young man, uh, he started, the, along with Rebarn Leib Steinmann, he started. The Ponovich Yeshiviktana, which we would call a high school. And it was in the Ponovich Yeshivaktana that one of the first students of the classes that he had was, of course, the Godolador that was nostalgic of Rakhaim Khanievsky's Ekert Sarakadroch. He was Rochaim Kanievsky's teacher. He taught generations and generations, and he continued till almost the, the very end to be involved in this high school. This Beit Sefer, it was from Michal Yudalevich, and besides doing that, he wrote Perushim on, on 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 Shas, and he worked on this element. This was one of his. Uh, this was a project that he loved, and he put so much effort into. Was coming out with a with Rav Haim safer Sefer Mechol Memkar. Memkar. Uh, someone once came to him, uh, to Rav Michal. Who was a Rebbe and either a, an Yeshiva Gedola and, and said, I, I, I'm, "I'm reaching frustration. I," he says, "you know, I, I need a break. I have to stop teaching. I, I want to take a year off." I, he, says, I, he says, "A break? I don't even understand what you're talking about. Uh, how could you want a break from teaching?" He couldn't understand how somebody could have burnout from doing this work, this 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 work that is that is what God wants us to do. He didn't understand it. He said, a, a, a Rebbe is a Rebbe 24 hours a day. You have to be ready night and day. So even though he didn't live like a Go'on, Rav Alefke, which is the, it, it's so wonderfully proper that he should be the person of the 20th century most dedicated to the Torah of Rav Ha'i Gaon, that he wanted the, the this incredible work to be brought out. 49, and then again in the uh, first 12, Sharim, and then he eventually uh, put out uh, the safer that included all 60 shards. And that is the safer on Mechical memka from Rapai. So here is the eighth shard. So let's read a little bit of it. There are people that you cannot buy stuff from. It's us or two, they, they have the brains, but you can't buy it from them. And these are, these have basically two parts to it, and the main reason is because we suspect something. There's something here that we suspect. So he says, the first one is, what we suspect is, there is geneva going on. That we suspect that what you're buying is actually stolen goods. He says, and this can happen in many ways. The will come upon it. For example, um, let's say someone um, who has been designated as a showmaker. For a certain thing. Now, you know that he is supposed to be guarding and protecting this type of item. Such a person, it's Osir Midarabada, to buy from him, because this is like, and the Gemara's example of it, the Mishnah's example of it is a shepherd. You cannot buy from a shepherd wool, milk, or young animals, a Gedi. Why? Because you have to suspect the worst that all that he, this, these don't belong to him. But he figures, you know, he's got a long term, he's a long term He's taking care of it for a couple of weeks. The animals need to be shorn. So instead of putting the shearings into some container and selling them for the benefit of the owner, like he should, he figures he could sell some of that stuff, right? Or what else? The milk. No one's going to notice that, even though technically it should go to the owner, or some of the babies. Why? Because you have to suspect that he isn't honest. Now, if what he's selling you is large quantities, there the Mishnah says it's mutter. Why? Because, and he says it really depends or high says how large the, uh, the flock that he's meant to be protecting. But if it's the type of thing that, considering the size of the flock, this percentage will be seen immediately as a problem, so therefore we say the shepherd, although he might have thievery in his heart, would never do that. Because then the owner would know it. So even if he is a bum, he'll be afraid to sell it. And the fact that he's selling it is an indicator that it actually is part of his own stock, because he wouldn't be selling stuff that he has been entrusted. It must be that this is his own stuff. The whole sir as the high articulates again, mm-hmm. okay. So now, now how about you? okay? And he says there are certain things which or no matter what, regardless of the size. Now, in certain things, you can always buy from me But this is the first category. Then he says, you should know. B'teida. Whatever, even though it's the type of item that usually you figure, oh, uh, he must own it. He wouldn't sell me so many. But if part of the sale is like a, a fevered phrase. Um, okay, look, I'm selling to you, but you got to hide it. I don't want you to be seen. You know, I don't want anybody to know. Like, it's only for you. Uh, nobody else should even know what you're doing. Here's a brown bag. Uh, here, take it. But I don't want anybody to see you selling it. So then you have to suspect what's going on. Why doesn't he want... I don't care what excuses he's using. This sounds like he's selling something he shouldn't be selling. And if that's what happens, of course... Then you realize what's what's going on. Um, now, let's say you're not talking about the Rav high says, "Avol ko arisus veshutvis." Let's say you're not talking about a shepherd who's paid to do a job, but someone who actually is almost like a partial, someone that the owner has hired. To, to take a certain percentage of it. And Oris, of course, is called a sharecropper. Uh, the Oris uh, is somebody that doesn't own the property itself, but because of his skill, is going to get a percentage of the flock, or he's actually a partner. So then you don't have to worry that, hey, what's going on? Even though he has access to stuff that doesn't belong to him, this that the rabbanan said you can't trust the person doesn't apply, because there's no reason to assume the worst. And therefore, you could take whatever it is, from a sharecropper or a partner, and he quotes the Gemara, again, he quotes the requisite Gemara: Kedagaras, Rav, of and Shavishte." and Abai says, well, how are you able to do that? Isn't he a Shomer? And Rav explained to him that an Oris is different, and therefore we say the Oris is selling it from himself. So here again is an example of Ravai logically going to the next element, and then... Quoting enough of the Talmud that you need, right? He's not over, he's not over like the Bahag and even the Rif, who many times assume a certain amount of Talmudic literacy on behalf of their readers. Rav Hai quotes the idea, explains it, and then he quotes just what's necessary for the person to get the idea. Again, uh, unlike the Rambam, who wrote things in this necessary way, and didn't quote any of the Chazal, Rav Hai seems to have mastered not only coming up with an incredibly logical formulation, but also being able to quote the requisite piece of Talmud that you need to know that you can be able to check that. Um, and he says that uh, the same way there's a worry about shepherds, you have to worry about wives. You have to worry about married women or children. Or slaves, what's going on with them? They don't really own stuff. How can they be the ones that are out there? So the chashad about the shepherd that's mentioned in the Talmud, of course, applies to them as well. And that's what he says. He says the only things you can buy, like the Gemara says, is that you can buy from married women uh, types of uh, items of, of, of embroidery, things made of flax and galil, and things that in the various areas where their husbands have allowed them ownership of these places. But once again, the Gemara says, and her quotes it, that if there's something suspicious where the woman says, look, I'm going to sell you this embroidery, but I'm putting it in the brown bag and you shouldn't take it out and don't take it out till you get home. So then you have to be worried that perhaps she's selling stuff that doesn't really... Then you have aspect two. He's not a shepherd that is, has stuff that doesn't belong to him, and therefore you think he might be uh, a, a scoundrel, or a wife who has stuff that, that she has no right to sell. Someone who already has a history of selling things that are usur. In other words, you already know that he's selling things that he shouldn't be selling halakhically. So here, you can't buy any... Once we have him as an offender... Of selling something that he shouldn't be selling because that item, it's usher to sell and to get profit from it, not because it doesn't belong to him. So then, if, however, there's some connection to this that he's selling to the thing that's usher. Now, for example, and then he explains himself we know if someone is, which means, a b'chor, of course, needs to go to the kohen. B- even when the kohen has it it, it, it is brought as a carbon. But there are people who don't want to go through that effort. First of all, they don't want to give their b'chor to the kohen. The b'chor to the kohen. And there's kohanim who don't want to bring that b'chor as a carbon. What were they hushed on doing of actually going and putting a mum in the animal? So what they would do is they would take an animal that was without blemish, And what they would do is they would um, impose, they put a wound into the animal. And we know that they have done it before, which means they're choshed on putting a wound in the animal or working the bachor. The bachor is not supposed to be worked. In fact, even after the moon, the bachor is just supposed to be, you you can shecht it and eat its meat but you're not supposed to use that animal as a work animal or take any of its, uh, shear off any of its fur or hair. So let's say, you know, somebody is not, has already been guilty of, or at least there's a great suspicion that he doesn't keep these laws. So now, even if it's an animal, you can't buy any animals from him and you can't buy any skin from him and you can't buy any shearings from him. Because it might be that these are connected somehow to a bechor. Now, similarly, a person who's choshud on shvius he doesn't let people in. So you, so he might be making money off of his stuff. He's instead of opening it up for everyone, he's keeping it for himself, doing business with shvius material. So you can't buy stuff from him, even. Uh, as he says, Rig, even things that, are, that, are, that have nothing to do with, 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 produce, with produce, because he might have used his illegal produce work to buy sweaters and other stuff. Similarly, he puts in the same category, someone who sells truma. In other words, this is a Kohen who wants to get money, and he knows that he has an excess of truma, and he sells this excess of truma to Yisraelim as kulam, or even a Yisroel who somehow has truma from his grandfather or something. And instead of giving it to a kohen to eat, we suspect him of misuse. So if someone is like that, you don't buy anything from him. You don't even buy mayim or melach. You don't even which of course you don't take truma from water. And salt. They have no connection to Truma, but because of that, because it could be somehow the money that he got from selling Truma, he now might have bought uh, some sea salt, and he's selling that. You don't buy that either. So Rav Chai has, as you can see, logically uh, delineated between the things that the people you're not supposed to buy from. They're people who, because of the position they're in, and because of the job they have, and because of the, the, the possibility of them selling things that don't belong to them, and because it's basically about Geneva. And you don't want to be, you don't want to be a, uh, an accomplice to the Geneva by actually buying it and purchasing it and, and bringing it further away from the owner. And the second one is the idea that you don't want to benefit people that we believe. Uh, and again, we, we don't have them dead to rights. But we suspect it, and there's enough of a coal about it to suspect them that we don't want to, uh, to purchase from them and to become a client from them, but it's only limited to the items that could have some connection to the thing that they are, um, uh, th- that we believe they are involved in. Okay, then he says there's another thing, there's another uh, aspect, and that is, Buying in a non-Jewish marketplace, when some of the proceeds, because of the the non-Jewish laws, went to benefit the the priests and monks or whoever it was, the the old oh De Zara. So, in other words, this was a marketplace that offered perhaps items at a very a uh, very good price, but part of the deal was that you had to uh, give a percentage to Uh, a percentage of whatever you bought would go to help provide for the church or provide the priests or whoever were with with their living quarters so in such a situation you can't go to such a shuk and if you do buy stuff you violate the chazal's uh, chazal's admonition what should happen the rabbis are very strict about this. They, don't, they realize what could happen if we. Everybody wants a good deal. Okay, so whatever I got, the ten percent of that uh, of the profits that the that the, that the that the store owner makes is is is, is goes to uh, provide for the priests. Well, we don't want that to happen. So the rabbis say, we treat it like it's, if you have violated this rule, that the stuff that you buy, it's asr Bahana. And again, he brings the Gemara, our senior, Rav and Omer. Yom, if it's a day, po that the non-Jewish government says there is a tax on everything that's sold today, all the profit, everything sold today, goes to help provide our church. So, what should it be? If a Jew is there, he said, he said he should not take anything from it. And if he does, even if it's an animal, we're going to do a very incredible thing in order to stop that, because we know people are uh, have a great gate sahara for the deal. If he bought an animal on such a day during Christmas week, whatever it was, te'akir. That animal needs to be basically wounded in a way that that you you, you destroy its legs. And if there are peros, they should all lie there and rot. You can't bring them home. And if what you did was you went to a money changer or you got metal, so basically what you're going to do is, well, those won't rot. So what are you going to do with them? So you're going to take that value and you're going to throw it to the Yama So then the Gemara says, Ramini, is this true? We have another Bryce that says that Raphaigone quotes that you're able to go to this fair. And even though it's a non-Jewish fair, and you're able to buy all different types of things in this non-Jewish environment. And not only that, Maubar you can even register it in their register books. So Rabirmias said to Rabzera, oh, yeah. So um, he says. You can buy everything. You can buy avodim and shvachos. Can you even buy, can you buy a, a, a Jewish slave if he's for sale there, or even a non-Jewish slave? Because by doing that, you're taking him away from the non-Jew. You're not going to So the Gemara says, wait. If that's the hetar to buy, to get, even though like, it's, it's a day of Avodah Zara, but you're saving this guy, why can you buy animals? So, so Rabbi and says no that depends if if the guy you bought it from officially gives money to the Avodah Zara then it's us sir. but if he doesn't it's alright Rabbi Yaakov said what it really depends in other words it's got to be as he says that it's clear that it's going to Avodah Zara. If it's not so clear, um, then if it's not a businessman you're buying it from, you're buying it from an individual party, then even though it's the Avodah Zara week, you're able to buy it. That there's a that the object itself, not because of the people involved, the object itself should not be sold unless it's for a specific purpose. And there are five examples of it. The first example is a safer Torah. A safer Torah is so important, it should only be sold for two reasons. Either because this is, you need the money to get the right Rebbe or the right yeshiva to go to, you're allowed to sell that safer Torah in order to be able to learn Torah. There's no use having this beautiful safer Torah if you don't understand the ideas behind it and you're not able to learn. Or, you need to get married. If you need to get married, and the only way you can provide for your wife and have a regular Jewish home is by selling the Sefer Torah, you could. Otherwise, you do not sell the Sefer Torah. Rabbi um, Freyam Greenblatt, you might want to know this, uh, Bob, told me that this is one of the reasons he doesn't sell Svarim, because even when he gets copies and other stuff, um, he says it's, it's, like selling, it's like selling a Sefer Torah. Now, I know that eventually his library was bought. I think a good amount of his library was bought by, by a certain educational institution, I believe. And I'm not 100% sure about it. But I remember Rebbe Ephraim telling me this that, that, you know, like even when he got doubles or triples of a safer. So I remember going to him and saying, hey, you know, I said, you know, Rebbe Ephraim, you, you've already got the safer. Now you've got another, you've got an upgraded edition. Maybe you're interested in selling the old edition. And he said he, he has a kaboah not to sell svarim based on this. You know, it's like selling a say tire. Okay. Okay. Um, the second thing that you're not supposed to sell is yourself <laughs> to be in heaven. But again, there's an exception. If you are so poor, as the boss says, and you, you, you're starving, but if the reason you sold yourself is because uh, your wife is bugging you because she wants this this villa in the Catskills. No, or it's because there's a certain prize cow that you want that you think is going to be great for you, but you need to go sell yourself for a couple of months in order to earn that. No, you can't. It says It has to be that you are so poor you have been you have been pressed down that you've already you know, you're in a lower state in terms of what you can purchase. You've already been. Lowered into the below the poverty line, that's when you're able to sell yourself. You can't sell yourself because you have this desire because you think you're gonna this is what you need and be out of desperation. The third thing uh, he, he says is that when Besden sells a person, Besden sells a person only for if he's a Ghanif, but not you know, not for debtor. A debtor who can't pay isn't sold in Besden. It's because he's stolen, like the bus says, the nim, carbon, negative, also. And it's not to pay the knas, it's not to pay the KFO, it's only to pay the exact amount. Um, and once again, that only occurs, as he says, if he has nothing that he can pay from. It says him aim low. But if he has anything, even stuff that he can sell in his house, then he is not sold. A human being should not be sold. All right. Then he says the fifth thing, which we say should not be sold, is a, a field of inheritance that comes through, uh, of course, in the time of the, uh, Eretz Yisrael, that was part of the original uh, uh, inheritance of the Jewish people, that you should only sell mipnei dochek One says, ki are things that you cannot sell. You can't sell them to non-Jews, things that you believe the, the non-Jew will use for Avodah Zorah. Um, and he mentions, he quotes the Gemara, Eudvar, this is the Gemara in a Zara, uh, Mishnah, Bryce and Avodah Zara, types of dates, b'no shuach, um, levona, frankincense, and white, uh, white chickens. Um, because those are things that they knew that were used in their Avodah practices. And he says that the Rav Hai says clearly, In other words, whatever the non-Jews you know use for Avodah like frankincense and stuff, you cannot sell to them because you know why they're buying it. However, he says, that's only if, he says, if it's a, in the small amount that will meant for ritual purposes. But if you're selling a lot of frankincense, to a single person, it's not also Um, And not only that, you don't have to sell it all in one shot. If he's buying, right, he says, even if it's ma'at, ma'at, we're not worried about it. And he quotes Gemara to prove that. So in other words, it's got to be where it's clear that I need it. Oh, I got to go to church. I need my. Uh, I need the wafer. I need to get that wafer from me, whatever it is. I need that oil. I need that frankincense. But here, even if, it's, even if he's going to pick it up piecemeal, it's not balanced. Since you don't really know it's avodah zara, it's only a suspicion, you are allowed to make that sale otherwise. And Rav Haigol mentions, he quotes Abaya, he says, it's only lifna iver that we have to worry about. That you gave him the means to do avodah But if this is what allows him later to do avodah that's already a step before that you don't have to worry. That's his, that's his problem, and you can make the money as far as that goes. I got to know what the non-Jews do. But if we don't know, we're not sure, it's not well known that this is part of their avodah and all of a sudden they're coming to us looking for something, and they don't tell us the little piresh l'shum avodah then you can sell it to them. And that's, he says... He says it's based on the Gemara, where the Gemara says, Shar, ko, advar, and if they tell us, that's one thing. But if they don't tell us anything and we don't know about it, and we don't know that this is one of their Abodazarists, then it would be all right. The other thing that we don't want the non-Jews to have is what we call a tremendous benefit. Now, this doesn't sound politically correct for today's time, but it's important to hear because I don't hide anything. And again, Kididar Sinan, Review to um, you, you don't sell them the best type of date tree. Also, you don't sell them homes, in, 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 or, talking about and Kasaria or any place, homes, houses, beautiful fields in Eretz Israel, you should not sell that to non-Jews. However, you can rent them the property. Now, even in Chutzler, it's the Gemara says, the, the, the Bryce says, you shouldn't be selling them a number of homes altogether. But you could sell a house and then a couple of houses away, a tract of land away, but you shouldn't sell them a block of houses, That they shouldn't make a big housing project. Fields are different, but... Was, and he quotes the gamara ain maskirim lem bat the baratt's role and errant's role you don't you, right you, you don't even want them uh, to have homes now who be good for it moghen sodos diver of mayor you can sell homes but not fields rabiosi says who good you can sell everything to them now but Rav Ami said, Rav Yehuda is right. I'm sorry, Rav is right. Which means you shouldn't create a, a new non-Jewish development. Okay, how this relates to today's real estate r- world, I don't know. But that's in Rav Hai, in his logic, he has designated this together with, as you can see, Together with things that you're not supposed to sell to Goyim. One is Avodah Zara, and the other is because we don't want them to get the benefit. One is that we don't want to be part of their idol worship. Now, the other thing that you can't sell to a non Jew is things that you're afraid that Jews will suffer by that sale. For example, you're not supposed to sell them weapons, not supposed to, right? And you're not supposed to sell them. Chains, things that they can chain Jews they don't like. And he says this applies even for a Jew who's a mafiosi type of guy. And you know that he's a mafia type of guy in Russia. You don't sell him weaponry or things that he could use to shake people down and hurt them. And he quotes Rami Barchama from the Gemara. And the Gemara says, well, the list him, you're talking about the, the mafiosi guy from Murder Incorporated? If he's a killer, then that's exactly a non-Jew. That's not, it's not about Jew or non-Jew. We're talking about someone that we suspect is going to kill with it. So the Gemara says, no. We're talking about not that you can kill with it. It's the type of thing that you could really use it to save people. Uh, and that's the question. Maybe that... If he already has a reputation, even though some people say, hey, I use that gun to protect people, you have to be worried about it. And then he talks there about what about uh, implements, what about farm implements that could be used as weaponry. Um, Rabbi Kivalevich, yes. this, it, when we, we're talking about non-Jews generally, are we making a distinction between or not making a distinction between non-Jews generally and, and people who keep the Sheva Mitzvot bene Noach. Rav Haigon is not the Meiri. Rav Haigon did not go as far as distinguishing between different types of non-Jews. Whatever <laughs> sort of broad mindedness he had, I, I don't see that in his, in, in his writings. Um, I, I haven't seen any record of that. And the fact that he again, wrote this work indicates that he wanted it to be used So you're right, Bob, it does sound a little bit prejudicial. But again, the suspicion is um, that, and and I would assume he would agree that once non-Jews, this non-Jewish world has stopped being so aggressive and violent, you don't have to be worried about it. He might agree to that. I I, I just don't, I'm not going to presuppose that's what he holds. Um, However, he does say, quoting Ravashi, that if what is being sold is a defensive weapon, not an offensive weapon, that you can sell to everyone. As he says, he brings the yeshomrim that you can sell to non Jews treason, even the non Jews of that time that were known as particularly violent, you can sell them shields and et cetera. Also, um, if what you're selling is animals that are known to be uh, like, you know, aggressive, uh, ravaging animals. You can't sell them. You can't sell bears or lions or animals to again to non-Jews because you're it's like you're selling a weapon. Um you should not deal with at all, not because it's a, a, a non-Jew. Now, um, and he talks about what they are, things that are Asr Bahana, things that are like Avodazara, things that Chazal made an Isra on them, like they were Avodazara, and he mentions a number of things uh that are us, or like wine of non-Jews, but he mentions, however, that um, let's say that wine of a non-Jew is, and sell the whole thing to a non-Jew, excluding part that you uh, that you uh, that you throw out, and that would be fine. Now, what about wine that's touched by a non-Jew? So again, based on Chazal, you shouldn't really get Hanaf from it. You should consider it Stami, like Yayin Now, that you can't sell, you need to basically just let it all rot. However, if some of the Yayin that the non-Jew touched gets mixed in with your wine, you do the same thing. Again, Rav Hai presenting stuff that you shouldn't be selling, but here with the mixture you're allowed to sell it to a non-Jew. And the part that you think was touched by the, 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 the non-Jew that's in the rest of the wine, that part it, it, you, you you pour out. And that's a total loss. And the rest you can sell. And he quotes a Gemara to back that up. A Gemara in um, uh, the Gemara in Avodah and that deals with that. And he shows you that exact case. Um, now, also mentions, if you are selling kosher wine to a non Jew, you should be careful to take the money first before you, he measures out the wine into his own containers or come up with a price. He owes you that money and then you'll measure it out because if you start measuring it out to him with his help and he's holding it. So now... He's holding on to his containers. That makes it Yayin Now that it's Yayin you now can't take money for it. And he quotes a Gemara. Yai, and he says, it depends. You should come up with the money and say, this is how much you're paying. Have that agreement before you go through the actions of measuring out the wine. But once you do that, once you measure out the wine with him, then you have to, then it then has a din of, of Yayin Nesach. And then you can't come up with the amount. You can't say now, oh, now pay me for that. So he gives you, based on the Gemara, the etza of how to be a wine seller. Otherwise, you're taking the Nessa. Anything connected to a dead body. Selling the, um, selling the shrouds. Or anything uh, that's considered part of the shrouds. Anything that should be buried or things that were used that are going to accompany the mace. Those should not be sold. Those should not be bought for anyone. Those have it din according to Chazal, of something that's Osir Ba'ana, and of course, Kalaya Kerem as well. One last thing, the last char Times you should not be selling. Shabbos and Yontav. Those are days sales should not happen. However, he says in Halamoid, also you should not be selling. But you could sell with an exception if you don't have anything to eat. And if you are, he says, uh, selling because you're desperate, since it's halomoed and everybody's around, you need to do it in a sort of a way that not everyone's aware that you're selling. And then again, he quotes the Gemara, the, the, the Bryson Moed Katan, that it should be Bitsina. He also says an Erev Shabbos, as we said before, you can't sell anything to a non jew because he's going to think uh, again, because we're afraid that you're going to become to lend him things and lend him animals. So Hazal made an iser of selling anything to a, uh, a a non-Jew on Arab Shabbos, unless there's enough time for him to take it from your house and get to his house. And he quotes he quotes the Machlopis here about that. Um, he then mentions times that you shouldn't be involved in sales, specific times, and those are the, the first Mishnah of Odah three days before uh, the, the Chag, that you can't deal with them. And um, and he says here, he mentions, he says that's only when that Mishnah, the three days before the day of Odah we couldn't deal with them, that's when that Mishnah was written for the B'nai Eretz Yisrael. But now that we're in Golas, it's only the, the day itself. And then he called Shmuel that says yom chag But then he says a Yom What about if it's a if it's a day that in your this area among this sect it's considered their holy day? But it's not an all-encompassing holy day that every all the non-Jews of this area uh respect. It's not Mufursa. So even though for the particular uh, Particular merchant that you're going to, he worships this God and this happens to be his holy day. The Isra of uh, the Hazal made of dealing with him doesn't apply. And he brings the story of Rafuna and, uh, uh, and the Gemara to prove that. And he says that it's, it's called Chagsa de Taye. It's just like a nomad holiday and it hasn't really established itself. So therefore, uh, you, could, uh, you could extrapolate to the types of holidays of today. If it's the type of holiday, if it's, you know, if it's a Wanzo or whatever it is, so the user might not apply. Um, and again, and um, he mentions that if it's the type of thing that if you don't sell it, you're going to incur a loss, that it's a total loss, you won't be able to sell it to anyone. He said, there, you're allowed to sell it to a non-Jew, even on their holiday that everybody knows about. And he quotes the Gemara about Rav Zvid, that, you can sell. Now, you can't buy from them, giving them the money, because that's when they're really happy that they got money. But in terms of selling them, again, Hazal give you that loop, he uses the Shemitah year as a time that you cannot sell items that people use for work, because you have to be worried that if you're going to be selling plows and other things, they're going to be using it to work the fields on Shvita. If it's the type of thing that is meant to work a field, even good Jews, you shouldn't be uh, uh, tempting them. But to sell them cows, to sell them other stuff you're allowed to, you can allow that on Shvita. Um, He also mentions that the only, in terms of Shvius. He says, again, we're not supposed to make a business out of it. But he says, if you bought, if you took the Peyros for yourself, you shouldn't be selling it. But as the Mishnah says in Shvius, you can have other people sell it for you. If you take Peyros to eat uh, and you have leftovers, you can set up a little farm stand that you're allowed to do. You just can't pick it in order to generate your farm stand. Um the other things when he talks about other times you're not allowed to sell has to do, like around the Yomtif, when you're worried about buying an animal whose mother was sold. And if you're going to shacht it that day, you're going to be over the Isser of Oso the Espino. And there are certain times that we know so many animals are being sold that you have to be worried. That this is the same day, and you're going to be shechting it that day. That the mother was shechting, and he quotes those days: she calls of erev Yom and, and erev Shulis, and erev Rosh and even erev Yom Kippur in some ways. So this is Rav Hai's. We did four sharem from Rav Hai today, and I think, I think they are an incredible sample of. Wonderful thinking about comp, a number of complex subjects, and, and I think I think you'll agree with me that they are a marvel of organization and knowledge of what to insert in a way that the reader gets it. Again, I I just ran through it with you, and and you might have to just take my word for it, but I hope that I, I gave you a sense of how forward-looking uh, this type of work is. Um, and, 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 right? So, and I, and I think in that way, uh, he represents an, an incredible model. Uh, really, a, a Renaissance person, way beyond, you know, way before his time, so to speak. Somebody who, um, and I think that's the reason why so many people are, are attracted to him, because is not not just because of the that he's the last, but what he was able to do was really set a very modern and yet effective way of, of, of putting out a, 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 on, a, a, on topics that cover a myriad number of places and organizing them in an, in an extremely effective manner. And like I say, it's deep and wide. And he's through his efforts, he's really able to break on through to the other side of of understanding and, and, and being able to actually use it as as a work. And, and, and it's it's unfortunate that that in many ways um, much of the work was unknown. Imagine how in some ways his you know his vision could have shaped the you know the perspective instead of just being this interesting curiosity.